everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we have one of my favorite episodes. And I, I'm giggling because I say that every single time, but um, I say favorite in the sense that uh, it's a grab bag episode, which are always fun for me because I get to talk about a bunch of different movies uh, as opposed to just focusing on one. So super excited as the title thumbnail alluded to. There are a bunch of movies that I've seen recently that I wanted to share some opinions on. Uh, a couple of them are new uh, movies that uh, some just came out or uh, for another one came out in the last year. Some of them are some older films that I both got around to seeing for the first time, uh, and then others got around to re-watching for the second time, and uh, we're going to be diving into all of those, so uh, tune in. Glad you guys are here. Uh, the first movie in this list, and I'll preview all of them here for you real quick, uh, is Day Shift. It is a new movie that came out on Netflix. Uh, that was on, I believe, on Friday, last Friday. So if you've got a Netflix subscription, you've got access to this movie. Uh, it's a Jamie Foxx and Dave Franco film uh, directed by J.J. Perry, uh, written by Tyler Tice and Shea Hatton. Um, it's good. It was a really good movie. Uh, and like I said, we'll dive into that here shortly. After we talk about that, we're going to talk about a Disney Channel original movie. Alex, I thought you had a whole episode on Disney Channel original movies. We do. If you scroll, scroll back through, you will find that amazing episode that Maya and I did. Um, this is a brand new Disney Channel original movie called Spin that uh, came out last year. Uh, and I just got around to watching it. I, I probably should have sped up that timetable had I known how good that movie was. Uh, and we will dive into that too. And then from mo movies from the past, uh, I last year uh, during Amazon Prime Day had purchased the uh, 4K disc set of all of the Fast and Furious movies. And uh, it felt overwhelming for a bit. I was like, oh man, like I got to start all the way at the beginning um, obviously, right, to do a good rewatch, but I had not seen the fifth and sixth movies. So I was, I, I kept on kind of putting it off because I was like, okay, I've got to set aside time to watch all nine of these movies at this point because I also have Hobbs and Shaw, the new Fast 9 movie that came out as well. And uh, yeah, I, I, for some reason, it just hit me. I was like, well, just watch the fifth and sixth movies. And so I did. Uh, and I have some thoughts on both of those movies, uh, both in terms of wishing I had watched some of the others prior, um, but also kind of excited uh, and kind of a cool thing about these Fast and Furious movies, which goes all the way back to, I think it was our first episode that we talked about Hobbs and Shaw. Um, so we'll talk about that. The final one is uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, uh, again, I had seen this movie when it came out in theaters back in, I think that was 2008. Uh, and I'll double check that. But, yeah, I feel like I was in high school. Yeah, it was 2008. And uh, I hadn't seen it since. And maybe I had and I'd forgotten it. But same same situation. I had bought a Blu-ray pack of all four of the uh, Indiana Jones movies. And I was trying to time it with the release of the next Indiana Jones movie, and it just keeps getting pushed back. But I, I'd rewatched the first movie a year or two ago, and then I'd watched the second one, Temple of Doom. And so I was like, man, I really, really want to watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to see if it holds up, if it's gotten better, gotten worse. But I've got to watch Last Crusade too. And then I was like, why, do I, why am I holding myself to these wild standards that I have, these weird limits? So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch that movie too. 
Uh, and so we're going to be having a conversation around why that movie is still a really great movie. So buckle up. We've got maybe some hot takes as the episode goes on. But like I said, we can't get there until we start and clock in on the day shift. So again, directed by J.J. Perry, uh, starring Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, uh, also has some great cameos by Snoop Dogg. Uh, Peter Stormare is in it, as well as Steve Howey, if you guys have seen Shameless. Uh, Megan Good plays Jamie Foxx's wife. Natasha Liu uh, plays a neighbor. And then the villain is played by Carla Souza as well. Um, wild movie. Uh, I will read you what IMDb says. this, And this was even less. So I, I'd done no research on this film, didn't watch a trailer a hard-working, blue-collar dad just wants to provide a good life for his quick-witted 10-year-old daughter. His mundane San Fernando Valley pool cleaning job is a front for his real source of income, hunting and killing vampires. So I'm a sucker for vampire movies. I'm a sucker for zombie movies. And this movie, um, in the shortest amount of words possible, this movie felt like a continuation or kind of like in the same vein as James Gunn's uh, Day of the Dead, or I guess it'd be Zack Snyder's Day of the Dead. It was written by James Gunn. But um, just in that sense of very violent, but the action was absolutely insane. The story was really good. This is one of those movies where, okay, it's not an Oscar-worthy movie by any means, but when you're looking at the Netflix scale of quality movies, I would rate this on the higher end of that scale. And so to me, that's at least enough is worth a watch. Uh, most Netflix movies to me are worth a watch because you're paying for the subscription anyway. You might as well get your money's worth. They're putting millions and billions of dollars into making these movies. Like you might as well check them out. And for the most part, uh, and I was talking to my cousin about this last night, that, um, you know, these Netflix movies, it's like they just have, they're the Netflix good, which is when you're done watching the movie, you're like, eh, that movie was okay. Like, I'm, I'm not mad that I watched it, but it didn't blow me away. And to me, I feel like that's so many Netflix movies. And there's a very small percentage of them that's like, oh, wow, that movie's actually really good. And that's why you get that reaction. There's so few of them that you're like, this is actually, Netflix has actually stepped up their game. Or wow, you know, when you think of uh, some of those movies, like I think it was Pieces of Me, um, the one that I think it was Shia LaBeouf that came out a year or two ago, like that one was incredible. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, but I wouldn't put this on that level, but it's right below that level. Again, if you love action movies, if you love uh, vampire movies, there's some interesting lore in this movie to the point where I honestly hope they make a sequel. Uh, and again, if they're they're blowing all this money on content, it makes a lot of sense for them to make another sequel of this because it was fun. I mean, it was it was funny. It had its great moments. And like I said, I think for me personally, I, I'm a huge Dave Franco fan. Uh, I my love for him started in uh, 21 Jump Street uh, as the kind of semi cool kid at school. And then from there, I feel like every performance he's done has just been I've been like, wow, this guy's just he's really suave, but at the same time, a complete dork. And he does that exact same thing here in this movie. That must be his specialty. Um, but so, again, the situation is exactly as it is. The movie opens up cold opening, and I'm going to do my best. I won't spoil a lot of this movie. I'm just going to tell you some of the things that I really liked about it. Um, like I said, opening 15 minutes, I thought it was in a Conjuring movie. Uh, he goes in to fight this vampire, um, Jamie Foxx. 
and vampires crawling around. You know those those instances when you're watching a scary movie, a conjuring movie, where the demon or the possessed soul is basically breaking the human body, right? Bending completely backwards, crawling up the sides of the wall. Um, all of that is what these vampires do, but they do it fighting. So, you know, he's like fighting this and it's like an old woman and you see it in the trailers. I'm glad I didn't watch it because they basically spoil it in the trailers. But um, he's fighting this old woman and she's like bending backwards, completely contorting her body to avoid a punch or using it like that to like kick him from behind and twisting around. So it just again, the, the use of the studio space in this movie was absolutely incredible. And I think credit for that 100% goes to J.J. Perry, the director. Um, for those of you that don't know, he was the, one of the uh, stunt actors, stuntmen from John Wick. So we're getting another John Wick stuntman out here um, doing his magic. And like I said, I think it was really successful. But um, like I said, the, the fighting was insane. I mean, he's got these really cool guns. They go into the lore behind the vampire, right? Every movie's got to do it, but um, it's like, it's weird. It, it's, it goes by so fast that you can barely remember it. And from what I remember, he said something like, you know, you got to hit him in the heart with wood and then you hit them in the neck with silver. Uh, and he's got this really cool like twine wire thing, like a ripcord that, uh, you know, they'll run up to and get their heads cut off. But at the same time, he's like shooting them with bullets and also hand to hand combat fighting them. All the while, people think that he's a pool boy, uh, which was kind of cool. And obviously that that uh, moniker does not stick for very long. But what I think holds this movie together and kind of propels it forward is the relationship that he has with his family. So. It's a it's a, it's an interesting story where I think him and his wife are already separated. They have a daughter who's 10 and uh, they're running low on money uh, to the point where if they don't come up with some money to pay for, I think it's her braces, a new school, something like that, that her and her mom are going to have to go back to Florida to live with her parents because she doesn't have the money to live here. And he's living in like a one bedroom apartment sort of thing. So he can't really afford it. So the whole gist of this movie is he needs to come up with this money, a ton of money, to uh, to keep them there. And so it's like it's not even he's not even doing it. And that's why I like the way that this um, this synopsis kind of says it. He's not even really doing it for his lost wife in a sense. He's doing it for his daughter because he knows if they leave, he's not really ever going to get to see her again because it takes place in California. Um, but the interesting piece here is he's not getting paid. <clears throat> I mean, he's kind of getting paid to kill the vampires in a sense, right? He gets. Uh, at this point, he's more of a freelance guy. But what he's making his money on is pulling the uh, the fangs out of the vampire. So after he's killed them, he's got a pair of pliers and he rips them out. And that is what is worth money, are these fangs. And so there's this whole bit where he goes to this underground sort of uh, pawn shop that Peter Stormare is the guy who runs the place, which is fantastic. Um, and, and he's like, you know, trying to trade them in. And the guy's like, ah, you know, these are from a younger vampire and the older elder vampires are more valuable. So again, you're starting to get a little bit of this, but he's like, oh, come on, man. Like you're, you're getting me out of all this money. Like you should, you should be paying me way more for this. And he says something like you could get better prices if you took these to the union, but we know you're not doing that. And so you're like, I, I was like, well, what's the union? And so we certainly very quickly find out now uh, with the whole situation with his daughter, he's like, okay, I got to go to the union. And so you're like, okay, what's the union? And so kind of like John Wick, it's like the Continental, uh, but very different. So it is basically the union job of being a vampire hunter. <laughs> so there is a society of vampire hunters that kind of run as a business. 
And uh, a bunch of them work the day shift, a bunch of them work the night shift. And it turns out that he used to work for the union for quite some time, but he was fired uh, on multiple occasions. Uh, actually, no, he was fired once. But when he goes back to beg for his job, they've got a file of like all these instances of things where he, he there's all these codes that he's broken. So there's, you know, it's almost like uh, an accountant in a sense of, uh, you know, ah, code 4.326. You did not report the killing of a vampire within 24 hours or, you know, whatever that is. And he's like, yeah, I know. Like, OK, come on. But the nice thing is his, his best buddy <clears throat> is Snoop Dogg. Uh, who is uh, his character's Big John. So cool. Plays an absolute badass. He's just being Snoop Dogg. He's got the luxury. He's got the swag. And he he's like this uh, larger-than-life character. And so Big John comes with him. His name is Bud. Comes with Bud to the union to convince the manager to give him his job back. Uh, and that was played. His name, the guy's name is Ralph, but played by Eric Lange. And uh, it's an interesting conversation because the guy does not like Bud. He does not like him. He is like, you know, explaining to him, do you realize how many times you should have gotten fired and you didn't? Because, you know, you, you, you slid under the radar or somebody was giving you a favor. He's like, you are one of the most decorated union reps in terms of breaking the rules and big john's just like come on man like do it as a favor for me and so he's like only because of you john like only but he's like you make one mistake and you're out you're done uh and he says okay great well i'll, I'll start on the night shift tonight and he's like are you kidding me he's like the amount of things that you did wrong on the night shift you are never working the night shift again you're working the day shift and he's like, you know what? Fine, whatever. I'll do it. And so, you know, he's in, he's good. He says one more stipulation though. You are required to have a union rep with you the entire time uh, to monitor you so that when you break the rules, we fire you immediately. And so that's his whole bit. This, uh, you know, manager guy is like, I, uh, I want to catch you in a lie. So I'm going to hire, I'm going to have somebody follow you around. He's like, okay, fine, whatever. So he leaves, he goes to the sort of like, uh, it's kind of like where you would turn in your poker chips in a sense to uh, get your money. And so he goes there, he brings all of his fangs and the, uh, the guy who's checking him out is Dave Franco. <laughs> and he's like looking at all of them and he is, an, he is super smart. He is a pro at vampire lore. He's like, yep, this one looks to be between this age and this age, probably this type of vampire, yada, 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 yada. And then he is like, all right, so we can give you, and I guess his, his number is, I think it was 10 grand. And so he's like, we can give you 15 grand for all of this. He's like, but we have to take off four grand for your new union dues, which the manager has requested you pay all up front. And he's like, and then also for your union membership card and for rec, you know, some of these other things that he did down to the point where I think he only ends up getting like four grand or something like that. But they're like, okay, but now, you know, he's got a job and uh, he's going to get this stuff. But I loved that. That was one of my favorite scenes of the movie just because I'm a numbers guy and I loved how confident he was. And then the manager comes out and he's like, ah, I see you've met your union rep. And so I'm like, yes, awesome. So we knew it was coming, but Dave Franco is his union rep, and he is the pencil pusher to uh, Jamie Foxx's, you know, action star. So it really feels like an other guy's situation where you have somebody who's incredibly adept at what they're doing, and then the other person is incredibly smart, but does not have that action sense. And so the whole movie kind of evolves into this thing 
of, uh, you know, he's trying to hunt these vampires. And, and the gist of the movie is this big evil queen vampire uh, named Audrey. She, uh, it was her daughter or something that was the old woman that he kills at the very beginning. Uh, she had turned her into a vampire. So like I said, you know, it's kind of like a vampire thing, right? A vampire spawn. And so now she wants revenge. So she's having all these vampires come after him um, as like a vendetta sort of thing. So that's the movie, but good for him, right? Cause he's going to get a bunch of fangs out of it. But we also see some really crazy action scenes in this movie. So like I said, I will not spoil anything else storyline wise, but I will say the Nazarian brothers uh, played by Steve Howie, the guy from Shameless, and then also Scott Adkins. Uh, there's just this amazing and perfect scene where his first job um, on the day shift, him and Dave, they're going to investigate this house. And I know I said no more story stuff. I won't spoil what happens, but essentially they go to investigate this house and they see the van driving by. And so like, he's a pool guy. The Nazarian brothers are like electronics. P. It's just like electronics or something, but they've got this big van and they drive by and Dave's going on like, oh man, the Nazarian brothers, they're like the top vampire hunters in California. And uh, he's like, are they taking our gig? And they pull up and roll down the window. And there's, they say something like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to team up? And, you know, Jamie Foxx is so prideful. He's like, no, no, I, I, I'm going to do this on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dave was like, don't you remember, like, you need money for your family? And he's got a cute little photo of his daughter. And he's like, okay. And he go, the, guy, the guys are like, we'll split it 50-50. Like, no big deal. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to say yes. And so they get to this house. And it turns out that it is a hive. And so there's like a hundred vampires in this house. And so he's like, thank God I asked for the help. But those Nazarian brothers are insane. They're, th this felt like John Wick. I mean, they've got all these guns. They are just blowing up vampires left and right. Everyone's got a part to play. Even Dave Franco does some pretty funny stuff. Um, there's some gags that I'm skipping over too, just because I don't want to spoil them, but there's some really funny bits with Dave Franco in this. Um, it was super cool. And so again, the whole, the whole point of the story then by the end of it is again, you know, he's going to end up having to fight this Lord of vampires or whatever it is, but, um, but it's cool. Snoop Dogg has some awesome action scenes. You see one in the trailer with a Gatlin gun. I'm like, man, I just want Snoop on my side for uh, for the vampire hunting because he uh, he knows how to mow him down. No pun intended. Um, just <clears throat> amazing. Great movie. Really fun. Gave it an 8 out of 10. I would highly recommend this one. Like I said, it's on Netflix. Check it out. Um, I think if I'm remembering right, too, the soundtrack was pretty good. So overall, like I said, really fun movie. Very enjoyable. Um, from there, we are going to dive into this Disney Channel original movie called Spin. So um, I don't know what your guys' appetites are for Disney Channel original movies. I am a sucker for them. I love them. I think that's because I grew up on them. Uh, they are the kind of movies that are um, blissfully predictable. And, and that's how I would describe them. That they, they follow, every single one of them follows the classic three-act structure of a movie where the movie opens, we get the intro to everybody, we get the opportunity for the main character hey, here's what this thing is, and then they become friends with somebody, maybe become close friends with them, and then we get the classic third act betrayal and twist, and then everything wraps up and is fine by the end of it, right? Like that's, I'm thinking in my head of like a hundred different Disney Channel movies. They're all just like that. And uh, this one is no different, but what I loved about this one was um, just how different it felt. It sounds weird to say the plot was the same, but when I was watching it, I just was like, this felt like a really fresh movie. 
And uh, I think part of that is because uh, of the cast and the crew as well. And this is something I just, I noticed this on IMDb. It's got, on, they, they, it's won one award, shocker, right? I mean, it's a Disney Channel original movie, but uh, it's not running any Oscars. But this award that it won is called the Reframe Stamp. And I was like, well, what is the Reframe Stamp? And I looked here and it, uh, it says a total, and this was for, and this is in 2021. Uh, and I wanted to talk about this because I think this is cool. I, I've never seen this before. Um, it's called Reframe, which is gender-balanced production. A total of 28 of the most popular films of 2021 met the criteria to receive the Reframe stamp, a designation that confirms a movie production crew is gender-balanced. Um, and it says it's one-off, actually, from um, last year. There were 29. So this movie got to count itself among a bunch of others, including... Black Widow, Candyman, Cinderella, Coda, Cruella, Encanto, and Eternals, the Fear Street movies. Um, I loved this list. It was such a great list. You got Malcolm and Marie, Malignant, Nomadland, Ray and the Last Dragon, um, The Forever Purge. You guys know how much I love those Purge movies. So I just, as I was looking at it, I'm like, that's kind of a really cool award to win because, I mean, even if it isn't in an award, just it being a stamp, because if you guys know, the Oscars even has gotten to this point now where they they're setting up requirements that um, for a movie to be eligible, there are certain pieces of the film, certain pieces behind the scenes that need to be uh, representative. So whether that is again, having gender balance on this cast and crew, you know, equal male, female sort of thing, or talking about um, things that are more representative of culture, right? So not just, green book type movies and so i would be surprised if we see another green book movie i pray we never see another green book movie make it into that top 10 but they did say that all of the movies that were nominated last year for best picture all met the criteria so they were saying something like this isn't like some brand new giant thing that's going to shake the industry it's just that they're trying to keep things up with the way that current day is which is everyone should have a seat at the table everyone should have an equal chance to make a really great movie and so just i don't know made me smile i was like that's really cool this disney channel random disney channel original movie that i i saw and i was like you know what i want to watch this based solely on the cover of the poster and the storyline which it says music is everything that is the tagline um but we also find out in this movie that everything is music uh but it is the adventures of a 15 year old ria kumar who lives with her tight-knit multi-generational family and realizes that her true passion is to be an edm dj what like what kind of story is that uh that that to me was like an instant watch i was just like okay so we're getting a story about a different culture which you guys know i'm a sucker for those stories um because i don't get enough of them right like i don't get to experience these other cultures and i believe this was um indian culture that we got to see though i, I could be wrong it might have been pakistani but i'm, I'm it's definitely south asian uh but it, it is because they have an it's an indian restaurant and uh but also on top of that When's the last time you saw a movie about a kid wanting to be a DJ? Uh, like, when does that ever happen? I feel like DJing is, is a taboo at this point of like, oh, you know, don't go be a DJ, uh, which is funny because I feel like I just saw something that uh, on Twitter about that from uh, what's the guy? Calvin Harris was talking about. Yeah, I make all my own music. I I mix it. I write it. All the stuff like people say that DJs don't do a lot. They just mix and share samples. Uh, which some people, I, I probably would have thought that a while back, but I've learned over the years it's way more complicated than that. 
this movie does a really good job of showing you just how complicated it is in a really simple way. So uh, Rhea is, she's, um, she works at her family's restaurant, which is really, so they've got this really fun restaurant. Her whole family works there. It's her father, her, and her younger brother. Um, and her younger brother, you guys, his name is Arian Simhadri, who is in uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, the new Disney movie. Uh, and I'm seeing, hey, I see Brian just tuned in. Hey, welcome, Brian. No, no worries. Um, glad to have you for as long as we can have you. Um, and then her grandmother. So it is, it's a multi-generational family, but it's kind of a broken family in that same sense. So we just have the grandma who, funny enough, was in an episode of Sandman. Um, so that was cool. I was like, oh, I feel like I, I know her from something. It was like, boom. Um, so, and her and her brother and her dad, their mom apparently passed away a while back. And so there's a little bit of sadness behind that, a little bit of, uh, you know, again, a crutch for her to kind of start out with in this movie. And, uh, and, and Ray is played by uh, Avantika, uh, I, one name name, which is kind of badass, actually. Um, but she works at this restaurant, her family's restaurant. She's a server. Her younger brother is a server. And uh, it's cool. It was a really cool scene. Like, I was like, man, I want to go eat at this restaurant. But all of a sudden, all this, there's like really great music in the background. And all of a sudden, this one like Bollywood song comes on and her grandmother gets up and there's like a spotlight on her and she starts lip syncing to the music and dancing around the uh, the restaurant. And for half a second, I'm like, OK, here we go. We're starting with the Disney Channel corny, right? Um, every Disney Channel movie has a little bit of corny in it. And that's good. That's a good thing. I like that. Um, but I was like, actually, this song's actually really good. And then this family comes in this, um, it's just a, I think they're a British family. I, I know that the young son, I believe is just a white guy, but, um, he's like, Whoa, like, this is really cool. You guys do this. And she's, you know, kind of the server, the, the daughter Rhea. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, this music is actually awesome is, you know, where, where is this? I've never heard this song. And she's like, this is actually a new release from, you know, some artist uh, that just came out last night. And she's like, I, I curate the playlist for the restaurant. I was like, how cool is that? Like, that's that's something that I, I tried doing when I worked at a sushi restaurant in college. Did not go the same way. Should have been a family restaurant. But anyway, um, he's like, I'm a DJ. And she's like, oh, that's really cool and whatnot. And she, so he's kind of like trying to make the moves on her. And she's in, you know, finds out he's kind of a new student at school. And so we get the classic, you know, okay, now we're at school sort of thing. And so we get a great new cast of characters that um, I, this is another really great message of this movie. So you got Anna Carthcart who is from the P.S. I Love You movies, The Younger Sister on Netflix. She's great in here. Um, Michaela Lucy is another friend, Debbie. And then also Carrie Metters as uh, Ginger. And then I believe, I feel like there was one other kid in the group. Um, but it was wild. She's got friends that are in all different stages of high school. So her friend Ginger is an influencer. And she is incredibly, she's basically like um, Zoe in miss marvel except she is best friends with this group so it's like she's a super popular everyone loves her but she's got this little friend group that she hangs out with which again you would not have seen that in an old disney channel original movie right that was always the person who ended up being the antagonist of the show and so i loved seeing that i was like wow she's supportive of her friends they're trying to plan this bash at school uh very similar to other disney channel movies and uh, they're looking for a dj convenient right but there's hey she's like hey i think i know a dj and so she she talks with this guy and he's like she's like hey can you like do some djing on the spot so we can see it was so professional in the movie i was kind of blown away the ginger is like yeah you know she's the one kind of spearheading this event at school 
And she's like, yeah, we'll do a, uh, we'll do a live test after lunch. And so somehow all of the students are able to go into the gym after lunch, I guess, I don't know, it was like a free period and he's DJing while they're dancing, but it's just a test. And as he's kind of doing his DJ stuff and it was actually pretty good. Ray is like, I like this. Like, I really, this is kind of cool. She's like, okay. And so at the same time, she's starting to develop feelings for this guy. And again, you know, keep in mind the Disney channel formula. Um, but so he's like, oh, you know, I'd love to teach you. And so she's, she does something. I don't remember if it's because of the playlist she made or what, but he's like, I could teach you how to be a DJ. And she's like, no, you know, it's not really going to work. I got to support my, I got to help my dad. You know, I'm the only one that he has sort of thing again, because the mom passed away. But the dad was like, yeah, you know, it's okay. He wants her to work, but he was like, you can have friends. So there was an, um, an addition to it on that of like, he isn't exactly the same type of Disney Channel dad that you typically see. Um, and I appreciated that. He had some growth to do, and that was really cool. And at the same time, we get a really cool instant. I thought this was cool. Clearly, the teacher didn't. There's a teacher who ends up kind of becoming maybe a romantic interest for the dad throughout the show. Um, but everyone has this project in class they're supposed to do. They're supposed to just come up with a project. And Rhea comes up with an accounting system on Microsoft Excel to help her dad at the store. And so parent-teacher conferences come around, and she's like, we need to talk about your daughter. Like, she made this thing, and the dad's like, oh, my God, that's like that's awesome. That's so thoughtful. He's like, yeah, but, like, here's what these kids made, and here's what these kids kids made, and, like, these are fun projects. Your daughter is like helping you out with your business. Don't, aren't you worried that she's not getting the high school experience sort of thing? Um, so that was, I, I thought was an interesting dynamic as well. But so we get to this point where um, we start learning a little bit more about her mom and her mom was obsessed with music. Her mom actually recorded music. She would write and make songs and she would sing them at the restaurant that was like the whole bit and so the grandmother has kind of been carrying on that tradition in a really interesting sense uh and so she, you know we find that out and then at the same time we start seeing her sort of tapping into helping this guy make beats for his uh his dj thing i think his name his name's max and he's got like a, his dj max or it's he's got a weird dj name but um oh no his name is union max like like union jack because he's british um, but he's like, oh, she's actually really good at this. He's like, you, you've never done this before. And she's like, no, I just, you know, music kind of makes sense to me. And he's like, that's really awesome. And I'm like, look at that, like a supportive guy in her life. That's really cool. And so as it turns out, though, and as time goes on, we find out that he's using her. Surprise, surprise. There's your twist. Uh, and it shouldn't have been a surprise from the very beginning. But um, yeah, and the new Captain Britain, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we Britain is going to be in huge trouble if this is the Captain Britain. This kid is an absolute joke. Um, he was cool to begin with, but immediately he starts wearing on you. Um, and I think that's on purpose because it's like, okay, this guy's kind of a slime ball. And so he's basically has Rhea helping him. Um, and then he goes and does a uh, this like, EDM show that's like a big concert. I think th that's what they're doing. So they're prepping to do this big concert, and there's multiple times when they're working together where her dad's like, Where are you? You're supposed to be working. And she's like, Shoot, I forgot. And it's like, Yeah, okay, we get it. You're a teenager. But um, it's all leading to this bash that Ginger is planning where they're going to be throwing, you know, color bombs and um and having this big DJ thing. And so she's like, do you want me to help you with the song a little bit? And so she's helping tweak it and all this stuff. Show comes around. 
She says she's unable to make the show, but then she ends up actually coming, gets to see it. Great show. He does a great job. He never thanks her. He says that it was all him and she gets super mad about that. And I was like, good for you because, you know, you think typically in these Disney Channel movies, it's like the most egregious thing, right, that they do. Like, oh, I made fun of you behind your back sort of thing to my friends or I was never your friend to begin with sort of thing. She confronts him almost immediately. And I love this. You guys know I love a strong female lead. She's like, hey, were you going to ever thank me? And he's like, oh, I didn't even realize that you were going to be there. He, she's like, why would it matter if I'm there or not? Like, I helped you do this. This was something that we did together. And she, he's like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And so she's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go my own way. And so this all leads to uh, the big finale, which is in this time period as well. There's a DJ contest. And the winner of this contest gets some like free lessons with this famous DJ, all this stuff. And so she's like, I'm going to go do this DJ contest. And her whole family is super supportive of her. Uh, and so the whole bit that we find out is, uh, and I think I think it's her grandmother who shows it to her. Maybe it's her dad. They end up, they end up finding a box of like old things from her mom. Uh, and so there's this really emotional scene. It was amazing where she's like going through it and remembering all of the stuff that her mom told her. Uh, and we get this, and unfortunately, it's an incredibly corny scene, uh, but it's a flashback of when she's a little kid, and her mom's explaining to her that, you know, and she's got this whole mantra of music is everything, right? Like, oh, we, I love music. And this, what her mom is trying to tell her is everything is music. She starts, like, she sings her asleep every night, and she's like, I want you to listen. Uh, like, what do you hear right now? And she's like, do you hear the, like, the banging of a, it's like, you know, a manhole out on the street, right? Listen to that rhythm. And she's like, what about that person walking down the street that you hear right now? Like hear their feet shuffle. There is a beat. There is music in everything. And again, the scene itself was kind of corny. It was like very corny, but you're like, wow. Like she's, she had this in her the whole time. She was always meant to be this, but her, because of her, um, her love for her father, her love for her family, she's now like, I want to help out at the restaurant. And so we start to see, no, your true calling is to be an EDM DJ. <laughs> and uh, she comes up, she finds in this box a song that her mom wrote and sang. And so, and I guess all of the stuff had been lost or something. So it was like, she has this actual content from her mother. And so she uses all of this to craft a song. She's like listening for, she does like this water drop in it and, you know, adds her mom's vocals into a certain spot of it. And oh man, I mean, to the point where I was like, man, I wish this was a soundtrack that's on Apple Music. Guess what? It is track for spin on Apple Music means it's probably on Spotify as well. Uh, because there's multiple great DJ songs, like you know, those EDM type. I'm a sucker for dance beats too. I'm a sucker for a lot of things on this show. I'm a sucker for you. And she goes to this contest, her whole family shows up. And she rocks it, obviously, right? It's a Disney Channel movie, but that is not what's good about it. What is good about it are the songs. And so, oh, the the because you never hear what the song is. You hear little beats in here and there while she's prepping it, and you don't hear it fully until it's unveiled at this contest. And it is amazing. It is such a good song. I had chills while I was listening to it. Uh, I think the song is called Music is Everything or something like that, but... Uh, wow, it just it blew me away. And you know, that's the ending. It's a happy ending for everyone. 
and the jerkwad loses. So that was good. Um, but oh, it's just like I said, very heartfelt movie, uh, classic Disney Channel style. Uh, and so it's on Disney Plus. Uh, again, came out last year, so it's very current. There's a lot of current things in it, which I really appreciated. Again, very updated uh, characters for the modern day, which I appreciated as well. And overall, just it was a really fun movie. So this was something where I just it was like late at night and I uh, hadn't gone to sleep yet. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to just pop this on. And I was up for it the whole time. I was hooked. It was really fun. So spin highly recommend. Now we are diving into the old films um, quote on old Brian. If you're still listening, um, we're going to have Indiana Jones at the very end. Um, first, we got to talk about these fast and furious movies. So there was even a scene in the fast and furious six movie where he says, we need to be fast and we need to be precise. And I was like, you missed out on a golden opportunity. I think that was ludicrous. character. I was like, we need to be fast and we need to be furious. Like, they missed it. They missed out. So, okay, here's here's what I got to say about these movies. Fast Five. Um, again, I had not seen this before. I thought I had seen uh, Fast and Furious. What is it? The fourth movie. Um, and I definitely had. I rated it. I gave it a five out of ten, which definitely means I need to rewatch it because I probably didn't like it while I was watching it. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. But when Fast Five was going on, I'm like, there's some things in here that I do not understand what's going on. And I think that's because of what happened in fast four. They're all on the run. They've all gone to Brazil, the team they're hiding there. And their, their plan is what if we pull off a heist and get a hundred million dollars from a Brazilian drug Lord to buy our freedom. And I'm just like, you know what? Bring it on. Like there's something about these movies guys that I just can't get out of my head. I don't know what it is. I think it's just that these are this is a popcorn movie. I mean, Fast and Furious franchise is one of the other biggest, most successful franchises that's out there. You know, forget about Marvel Studios for a second. Um, these movies are surefire hits every single time they come out. And I think, you know, the action is intense. The car scenes are amazing. The cars are gorgeous. All the actors are gorgeous. Like, it's the perfect type of movie. And I didn't realize this. Gal Gadot is in both of these movies? Uh, yes, please. Sign me up. I'll watch another one. Please and thank you. Please, sir, can I have some more? Um, also, you know, just like a, a classic, Marvel doesn't do this as much anymore, but in classic fashion of all of these movies are set in the timeline before Tokyo Drift. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, cool. I kind of want to watch Tokyo Drift now to see some more Han because I loved Han. Han was fantastic in this. Gal Gadot's character, uh, was it Giselle was also awesome. Uh, the team, you know, I, I'm a sucker for Georgia, Jordana Brewster as well. Uh, who plays Mia? You got you got Dwayne the Rock Johnson playing Hobbs, one half of Hobbs and Shaw. So that was nice. I will say him and his goatee in this movie were absolute pure cornball, pure corny. His acting in this was kind of corny. You don't really see um, Dwayne get into this role, I think, until the sixth film. And, uh, and that's fine. You know, he's got to do some, he's got some growing to do. He's got to get into it. Vin Diesel is classic. In both of these movies, I think we get family you never leave family behind you never turn your back on family is what he says um and i i feel like they they're missing they really are missing an opportunity not saying the fact like we need to be fast and furious in each of these movies or that could even be their call sign man like that you know they fist bump before they drive off in the car fast and furious you know it and you know they do the little fist bump hey i don't know but uh of course you know the heist goes off without it's got hitches 
but this felt a lot like now you see me now you don't sort of movies where there's a lot of twists of like ah okay they got away with it like when's the last time you've seen a movie where the main characters are technically bad guys and they're robbing i mean they're not robbing a bank but they technically are robbing a bank it's just bad bad villain money it's dirty money blood money and they get away with it right they get the money so i liked this movie i thought this was really cool i'm a big heist guy and uh i don't know there's just there's some really good car scenes the fact but okay you know i feel like every fast and the furious movie has a suspend your belief moment and for me in this one it's two cars dragging a safe down the highway and they, they were very accurate at points where when they hit like a specific turn or a spot in the highway and the things like careening and tumbling around i'm like okay and they're not getting whipped out of their vehicles they're totally fine still continuing to drive uh okay but at the same time that is totally awesome like there, like I said, there's just something about these movies that I love. Like I know these are the movies where they're so bad, they're good, but they're not even really that bad. They're just like, there's some corniness to them. There's some cheesiness. There's a little bit of suspending your disbelief. And once you can do that, these movies are just, you know, fun as all get out. Uh, and so, yeah, fast five was fun. Um, but there was a piece of it where I was like, okay, if I'm ranking these and I will, whenever I rewatch all of them, uh, this one will probably fall towards the bottom. Uh, there's a big piece in here about Letty is dead. And I'm like, what is going on? Letty is dead. I could have swore. I mean, you know, we see her in Fast 9 because um, I just recently watched that. How did she die? Uh, well, some of that apparently happens in the prior film, in the, the other one. So I'm like, ooh, this is great. I'm going to have to go back and watch that movie now. Um, but he's heart torn. He's broken. Vin Diesel's a broken man, missing missing his uh, missing Letty. Uh, and we find out when we get into Fast and Furious Six that Letty is alive, but she's lost her memory. She doesn't remember anything. What a classic trope. We also get Gina Carano in this movie. Um, she turns out to be a bad guy, which is perfect because that's kind of what happened to her in real life too. So um, that lined up really well. There are some amazing car chases in this sixth movie, and this one kareen's even closer in the hobbs and shaw territory i gotta tell you hobbs and shaw is probably one of my favorites of the fast and furious movies just because again there's just a magic about that movie there's a sheen a veneer around that movie that just makes me see it with glowing eyes uh, i've got my uh, rose colored glasses uh my shaw colored glasses but we get a different shaw in this movie we get shaw's younger brother shaw um not deckard shaw owen shaw played by luke evans whom guys Luke Evans is amazing. He was, I, you know, I know him from, um, uh, what is it, The Alienist? But he was also in Dracula Untold. Uh, there's a ton of movies that he's been in. I'm, you know, there's, oh, he was in the Hobbit movies as well. Um, but he's awesome as a bad guy in this, really cold, calculated. And he, there's a great moment in this when Roman points out that he has the exact same team as they do. Like they've got a Roman, they've got a, they've got Letty on the team. I thought that was a really cool call out. This is Roman shined in this movie. He was so good as was uh, uh, Tej uh, for uh, Ludacris's character. I can't believe how many of these movies Ludacris was in. Uh, it's ludicrous how many of them he was in. I thought he was only in a couple, but we see him in this with a six pack. And he, so the, the movie, I love how this movie opens up with them living their best lives because they all got away with a hundred million dollars. And so he is like in, you know, I don't know, some coastal continent 
And uh, he's like typing in at an ATM to get money. And there's some people at a table. I don't know how they even knew him, but they're like, he must've been living in the town. They're like, man, you know, once you get all that money, you start getting kind of stingy and all of this. And he says something about, you know, okay, the trick is, you know, you, you don't want to something about, okay, the money, we got to make it rain. <laughs> and he presses a button and money just starts flying out of the ATM. And I'm like, there's just so many logistical errors in that scene. Uh, but it's ludicrous, guys. Come on. Like, we got to give it to him. Han's back. Gal Gadot is back. Uh, and this one's even better because now, you know, uh, Hobbs was kind of a villain in the last one trying to take them out. But now he realizes that, you know what? Um, family is forever. And uh, this was interesting because you've got and, and Shaw even points it out in the movie. He says that, uh, you know, I, I, I have I run my team a certain way and your team is your family, which is just not wise. Like I switch out players. They're pawns to me, basically. And it's like, well, in this world, that's your fatal flaw. Like family is forever. The fight scenes in this movie were incredible. Miles ahead of the last movie, really uh, visceral fight scenes but also insane i'm watching this trailer as it plays um on imdb the plane scene at the end holy cow i was on the edge of my seat watching that scene like just this is i think that moment where uh there was a shift in these movies and they started becoming a lot more spectacle like let's go bigger let's go even bigger right and fast nine we go to space uh next up we're gonna be getting dinosaurs this one we get the tank we get the plane Oh, there's just, there's a lot to love in this movie. Um, but there's also a lot to laugh at too. Again, it's like Letty, you know, I don't remember. There's a whole scene at the end where now him and Letty are back together. Letty says something like, yeah, I don't remember any of this, but it feels like home. It feels like family. And he's going to his girlfriend and is like, yeah, basically we're done. And, but no, he doesn't even say that though. He says, you could stay if you want. And it's like, Vin, you dog. Um, but she's like, no, I have my own family, the police force. It's like, okay, all right, well, have fun. Um, and it's great. Uh, Justin Lin directed both of these movies, and you could tell that was great. Um, it was great to see Paul Walker, too. I had not watched these, so it was nice. Remembering back to when this movie came out, because this was, yeah, 2013. Um, this movie had come out um, right when I was starting my job at nationwide. And I still vividly remember, uh, like opening day when I got there and we, you know, we're learning about, uh, you know, the job, what's it, what it entails. And I remember it on break. Some people were talking about, uh, I think that was when Paul Walker died. Cause it had to have been in like 2014 or whatever it was. Maybe they were just talking about how great this movie was. And I just kept remembering like, man, Paul Walker is a hero. And it's just crazy that he died the way that he lived, which was driving cars fast. And honestly, you know, some of us, we'd be lucky to, to you know, pass away doing something that we love, um, which is pretty cool. Again, I know his, his instance was kind of questionable, but still, uh, it was great to see him in these movies. So um, my, uh, my verdict on these, I'd give them both sevens. They're really good movies. Uh, they're pushing into that eight territory, but... Uh, there's just, you know, there's some things that kind of hold it back, obviously, right? You know, suspending our dis I'm literally watching. Oh my God, that's right. So Letty is in a tank and they pull some stunt where the, uh, whatever happens, the tank ends up colliding with something and the tank ejects Letty out of the tank. At the same time, Dominic smashes into the side of the bridge, flies into the air he catches Letty in the air and they land safely on the other side of the bridge um, on top of a car. And she says something like, 
she like later on she shows up and does the classic you know action movie line how'd you know that we were gonna land on that car i didn't and it's like oh man dude like wow we get to see really he shows a lot of how how much love he has for letty um to the point where like i said i hadn't seen these movies before i'm glad i got them out of the way because i know for a fact i'm going to love re-watching this series uh, and I will be watching the uh, Tokyo Drift after these four movies. Um, or I guess at that point it would be five movies. Because um, it plays out in the timeline. I got to see how that plays out. We get to see Decker Shaw in the uh, post credit scene. Uh, super cool. So I'm sold. I love Fast and the Furious movies. Um, sorry. That's, that's just how it is. Um, before we wrap up, we've got one more movie to talk about. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, a Steven Spielberg classic. Came out in 2008 excuse me, and uh, takes place in 1957. And I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me for this movie is that it felt like it took place in 1957. There was a quality to this movie that felt so Spielbergian in the sense of you see how much care, despite me not really being a fan of West Side Story, Spielberg's West Side Story, I still think the movie probably doesn't even need to exist. I will not say that the movie was not beautiful to look at, both in costumes, setting, production design, all of that. It felt like a lived-in city during the 60s, I think is what that was, early 60s, late 50s, and it felt that exact same way in this movie. And so I just, Steven Spielberg has a way about where he knows exactly what he wants in these films, knows how he wants it to feel. It felt like an Indiana Jones movie, even though he's older, um, and there's some bits to it that were kind of corny in that sense of like, yeah, we get it. You're getting older. That's definitely not you doing that stunt. And that's totally fine. But we also get some surprises I didn't realize. Right. And and not realize I'd, I'd seen the movie. I knew who was in it, but I love Kate Blanchett. She's a very corny character in the movie, but it's just great to see her. I love Shia LaBeouf and he's in this movie. He does a fantastic job in this movie, but we got, and I didn't, I forgot about these people, John Hurt as Professor Oxley and Jim Broadbent as Dean, as the Dean, Charles Stanford. Also, Ray Winstone plays a sort of bad guy in this movie as well, um, which was crazy. You know, Ray Winstone from um, uh, Black Widow, John Hurt from Elephant Man, you name it, uh, and then Jim Broadbent from Harry Potter. It was just cool to see all these characters. And obviously, Marion Ravenwood, Karen Allen comes back to, um, you guys have seen this movie. It's been out for a while. The question is not, what about the movie question is where does this movie stack up because everybody gives crap to uh crystal skull whether that's because they don't believe in the crystal skull or because they don't believe that there should have been another indiana jones movie whatever it is um in my humble opinion they're wrong there's pieces of this movie that uh i could say yeah you, you know that's fine we didn't need another indiana jones movie but it got made and what a cool concept so what i'm going to talk about is just some of my favorite scenes from this movie and why this movie stands up as one of my not favorite indian okay so here's my rankings of indiana jones as it stands i reserve the right to change these rankings whenever i want <clears throat> number one indiana jones movie raiders of the lost ark obviously 10 out of 10 number two last crusade also a 10 out of 10 those movies are neck and neck i love them just about the exact same um number three kingdom of the crystal skull i gotta give it an eight out of ten and then i also will give an eight out of ten to temple of doom but i do not like that movie that much like i recognize it's a good movie there's some enjoyable pieces to it honestly an eight might be even generous 
But um, there's just a lot about that movie that I don't like. And I like this movie better. This movie has um, a opening scene that is serves multiple things. It starts with um, we've got the nuclear holocaust in the um, that small town uh, where Indiana Jones just wakes up and he's in that town. And he's got to figure out what's going on. And he gets into the fridge and um, uh, gets blown up but survives in a fridge. No human being would be able to do that except for Indiana Jones. Uh, and then there was also another piece as well. I think he uh, there was another action scene now that... Oh, I guess it was just them being in Hangar 51 to kind of locate that mummified, um, the mum of, look, I love aliens. I think the whole Roswell thing in here and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull thing is awesome. And a lot of that stuff is stuff that I've read too, when they were talking about it being different dimensions and, uh, you know, these, just the whole alien aspect of it was so cool. And it, that held up. And I loved that the antagonist, um, played by Kate Blanchett, uh, she's just obsessed with knowledge and she wants to know more and that ends up being her downfall. Um, but it was really cool. It's a, it's a globe spanning movie as well. We get to see all of that stuff at the, in the opening scene, but then we also get to see the, uh, I think it's in the Amazon where they go. Um, you know, you get to see Shia LaBeouf swinging with the monkeys um, and who, who wouldn't want to see that. Um, but then we also get taken to these temples where they're having to figure out puzzles and get into things like it's just your classic adventure movie. And uh, like I said, I think it really holds up well. So um, that's kind of where I'll leave it. I know there's a couple of other pieces here. Uh, there, oh, okay, look at this. Listen to this. So I love this. Well, I'll just read what the ending says. This is from Wikipedia on the plot. Jones's team evades the guardians in the city. That was kind of cool. Gains access to the temple and finds it's filled with artifacts from many ancient civilizations. They realize the aliens are archaeologists studying the different cultures of Earth. They find and enter a chamber containing 13 crystal skeletons, one of which is missing that skull. Uh, and when Spalco arrives and replaces it, the skeletons um, telepathically offer to give a reward to the group. And she just wants to know all of the knowledge. And so they give her all of that knowledge and it kills her because obviously that's insane. And so from there, a portal to their dimension is activated and all of the Soviets are drawn in while Jones and his team escapes. As the city crumbles, a flying saucer rises from the ruins and departs for another dimension, and the waters of the Amazon flood the hollow left by its takeoff. Uh, and then it says, uh, the following year, Jones is reinstated as the associate dean at the Collins. That's right, he got fired. Uh, and marries Marion with Oxley, who has regained his sanity, um, which was nice. I, just, like, I don't know why anyone would want like that. I mean, we've got, you talk about, you've got, all kinds of ancient religions in Indiana Jones. You've got everything with the Holy Grail. You've got everything with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, there really isn't anything in the uh, Temple of Doom besides, you know, some ancient um, Aboriginal cultures, which was really cool. And now you've got aliens. So, uh, you know, the question then becomes, what is this next Indiana Jones 5 movie going to be about? Uh, I don't know. But it makes me really excited because I just love, man, guys, that's, that's why I have this podcast. I love movies. And these are all movies that I love. Like we got in this. Think about what we've just talked about today. We've talked about film, right? People, hundreds of people, crews, actors, putting together productions on their time, getting paid for it, thankfully, um, to give us these movies, these dreams about vampires 
uh, about DJing, about car racing and heisting and insane stunts, and about ancient aliens. Like, where else can you get all of that than Hollywood? And that is why um, we love movies here at Comics and Cinema. So that's going to do it for us. I will wrap it up um, and let you guys know next week uh, there is a 99% chance uh, we will be off next week. Uh, it's Labor Day weekend. I want to make sure that we're all getting rested up. Uh, but like I said, I, I may do a surprise episode. Uh, we'll, it'll be a game time decision. I'm, I'm very busy this weekend, so I may need to just take a little break. Uh, but if not, um, or regardless, we've got some big shows coming up the following week. Kevin is going to be coming on. Um, possibly another guest we'll see uh, to talk about D23, Disney Plus Day, all of the announcements that Marvel is going to be putting out. We will be breaking that all down here on Comics and Cinema that Tuesday. Um, who knows? We may even do it a little bit sooner. We never know. Um, but then also, uh, either it'll be a bonus episode or the following week, The Woman King is coming out with Viola Davis, and I am beyond excited to see that movie. So I can't wait to see it, break it down for you guys, and let you all know. But for now, I'm your host, Alex Klein, for Comics and Cinema. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you at the movies.